Shalom, everybody. Welcome to this week's Journey Through Torah. This week, we're in portion Kitetse. We're going to talk about some things today that uh, really bring out some accusations that were given regarding Yeshua, and how can they even try to make a claim of accusation? Well, we find some things that are written in the Torah here that are, that are good things. Uh, they're, it's good advice, good things for us to follow, good issues of justice. The problem is they tried to misapply it when it came to Yeshua. And so we're going to take a look at some of these things as well. And uh, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about the issue of the rebellious son in here. And, uh, and we're going to go in to see where they try to do this with Yeshua. And we're going to talk about uh, one, of the, one of the reasons why Yeshua had to go to the cross or the tree, the stake, however you translate that, the point, the relevant is, is still the same in that. So again, the, the goal that we're looking here as we're approaching the Torah is to reveal the life of Yeshua, the reasons why it came, the things that were trying to be used against him, and and properly approaching the word of Yahweh. You know, it says in the Brihad Hashah, it says that the Torah is good if it's applied lawfully. So if we're pursuing the Torah, pursuing the things of life, his righteousness, we're seeking the heart of the Father, we're going to be finding the good in it. But if we're constantly trying to find ways of just bringing accusations against one another and just trying to bring hardship to one another or trying to get out of something and trying to be disobedient. Yeah, that's not going to go good for us at all anyway, right? But here we're talking about the heart of the Father is a people to follow him. And when we find this issue about the rebellious son, understand we're to be sons of Yahweh, right? So we need to walk with him as sons, those who are the sons of righteousness, those who are uh, called by his name, were grafted in to be part of the family, right? And to do so, we need to walk with him in all of his ways, which we addressed a lot of that in last week's Parsha, okay? So for now, we're going to go over to Deuteronomy 21, and we're going to take a look at verses 18 to 21, and, and uh, we read, Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not listen to the voice of his father or mother. They discipline him, but he does not listen to them. And his father and mother are to grab hold of him and bring him to the elders of his city, to the gate of his, of his place. And they will say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He does not listen to our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city are to stone him with stones to death so that you will purge the evil from your midst and all Israel will hear and be afraid. Now, first reading of this, you'll be like, whoa, wait a minute. This seems kind of harsh, right? Okay, well, there's a lot to be said here regarding this, all right? But first and foremost, we don't really see uh, or have a record, really, of, of, of any time this was actually done, all right? But that doesn't mean that there is a need for justice in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the assembly of Yahweh. There has to be rules and order, because if not, you're always going to have someone who says, uh, I can do whatever I want, and if, and if what I want hurts you, I don't care. So we have to have boundaries for life, pursuing the heart of the Father, so that we can learn to walk together and doing so in a means where we love Yahweh and we love one another, where we're watching out for each other as well in that. So there's some things that need to be said here. First off, when he says someone is, is stubborn, okay, so the word that's used here for stubborn and rebellious is soror umore. So soror and umore. So soror means uh, stubborn, to turn aside to withdraw. So they're withdrawing from the counsel of their parents. They're withdrawing from godly advice, withdrawing from what is right and what is proper, and rebellious to be 
contentious, defiant, and rebellious. And so uh, uh, not walking with Yahweh, but walking contrary to him and doing their own thing. And, and of course, that's going to cause hurt to others around them as well. But we see another example of this in Jeremiah 5.23, where he says, His people have a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. And that's the same phrasing that's used there. It's lev soror umore. So it's, it's their heart is stubborn and rebellious. They're turning away. So in Jeremiah 5, it was Yahweh who laid this charge against the people of Israel, because that's what Israel had done. They forsook Yahweh, they turned their back on him, they walked in their own ways, and they worshipped idols, and they did whatever they wanted. So they turned away from Yahweh, and, and uh, what was the, again, we see the wages of sin is death. What is the penalty for sin is death. Now, we know grace, mercy, and compassion all come to play because Yeshua paid that penalty for us, but that does not mean that the penalty is null and void. Okay, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because justice declares it must exist, right? Proverbs 22, 6 teaches us some things here. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What we learn from this, I mean, granted, at some point in life, everyone has to learn their own things, make their own path, do their own choices. But if we're raising a child to honor Yahweh, it is more likely they will continue to walk with him throughout their life. If they've seen the benefits of Yahweh, if they have seen his, him, him working in their life on their behalf, if they have seen these things, he's more likely to walk with them throughout his lifetime. But let's look at some other things as well. Let's face it. A child will learn more from your behavior than your words. You can tell your child, we need to walk with Yahweh, but we don't. What are they going to learn? You know, it's lip service. We just say we're doing it, but we're not actually doing it. We're not actually living as we do that. Or do we say, Son, I need you to listen to me, but we don't listen to our boss. We don't submit to our spouses as one another. We don't submit to our governing authorities, but we want our children to listen to us. See, they learn from you. They learn from you. And so we need to set that example for them to follow, not just a matter of saying something, but we need to actually be that example for them to follow. Okay. Uh, so there are a few more things we really need to make sure we note here. One. Like we said, there is no record of this ever actually being carried out. However, the punishment for a crime is a deterrent for the crime. If we know that a crime is going to go unpunished, when the temptation comes, more people would be likely to just go ahead and do it. But if we know there is a punishment for the crime, the punishment is a deterrent for the crime. Also, we're not just talking about an isolated incident here. We're talking about consistent behavior. We're talking about someone whose heart is continually stubborn and rebellious. See. Be, and, and because of these things, this creates a, uh, what, we, what we call due process. Okay? The accusations with witnesses and with a public trial, with all of this being set and done, this is what's being given here, due process. And the Torah is good for due process. You have to have witnesses for anything. You have to, they have to be credible witnesses. You can't just make stuff up and have to testify the facts. And, and, and this is how we're all supposed to live in this. All right? So this is speaking of someone who has, uh, let's just say, an extreme lifestyle, right? They're, they're never satisfied. They're uncontrollable. They reject counsel. They won't receive correction. They're just going to do whatever they want. But understanding that the foundation for Israel as a society is related to political authority, social peace, all of that, but it starts in the families. It starts in the homes. So if the families are falling apart, what does that do to society? 
if the families are falling apart, that tears apart society, doesn't it? See, so we need to live in our homes what we are expecting to be lived in our communities, in our cities, ultimately our nation. The change that we need in our nation starts in our home. Okay, so here we have someone who is rebellious and uncontrolled. And this person, if they do not face any penalty, if they do not, if they continue to remain undealt with, they could be a threat to the, to their family. To to they could cause harm to their family. They could cause harm to their community. Bring uh, bring things onto onto that. And and uh, here we have a representative of the community's adherence to the covenant of Yahweh. They could they could cause things to come against them and come against their community because this person is just left unchecked to do whatever they want and they're causing uh, problems walking against Yahweh and they're off worshiping idols and doing all these other things, that's not going to be good for any, everyone around him. I mean, we take an example, I'm not calling a rebellious son, but consider as an example, uh, Achan, when they went to Ai, and they were supposed to be totally destroyed, and he kept some things for himself. Well, Israel suffered because of that. See, so again, us as individuals, we have a role to play to keep the good of our community upstanding. Okay, so we ourselves need to not be rebellious sons. We can be sons. Let's be good sons. Okay, let's be ones that bring a smile to our father's face, ones that bring joy to him. Let's not be ones to cause grief and harm and uh, cause a lot of problems. Uh, you know, let's be ones to bless the father's name, right? But I want to point out that a stubborn and rebellious son. This is one of the charges of many that they tried to attach to Yeshua. See, we see an example of this in Matthew 11, verses 18 and 19, when it says, So John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. We read another account in Luke 7, 33 to 35, where it says, John the Immerser has come not eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by our children. So we have this, see, he's a stubborn and rebellious son, and the same accusation, he's a drunken and a glutton, and all these, they're trying to bring these accusations against Yeshua as a son of Israel, okay? And, uh, and what is the proper thing to be done with him? Oh, they're supposed to kill him in this, right? That's what they wanted. They wanted him gone. They wanted him dead. So they tried to bring these types of accusations up and they were constantly trying to find ways to bring further accusation against Yeshua. And of course we know he was clean in all of these things, right? Constant accusation. And after all that, he was still tried and crucified, even though Yeshua was inspected by Pilate in Matthew 27, 11. He was inspected by Herod in Luke 23, 8 to 12. He was inspected by Annas in John 18, 12, and 13. He was inspected by Caiaphas in Matthew 26, 57. All of these people inspected him against the accusations and the charges that were laid against him, and no fault could be found in him. But yet he was still crucified. Why? Because Yeshua laid his life down. Why did he lay his life down? So that he could be resurrected and, and be victorious over death to be victorious over those things that would hold us back, that we could be with him in a place of eternity. He was, his death, burial, and resurrection was so that he could provide atonement 
for his people and all who would come to him. He did this so that even those of all the nations who would be called sons could have a place of covenant with the Most High and, and to come in, uh, in beside the sons of Israel to be a son of Israel, to be those set apart and called by his name. We see this in a few places, one being Galatians 3, verses uh, 8, where it says the scripture sees that God would justify the Gentiles by faith he preached the gospel before to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 13 says that the Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. See that? Where, where is it written? We just read that in Deuteronomy. Why? So, Verse 14, So that in Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And in verse 29, says, if you are the Messiahs, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. See, so we see here, his death, burial, and resurrection, he did this so that the gospel, the good news that was declared beforehand to Avram could come to the nation so that all, whosoever will, could come in and have a place of covenant. We see this again in Ephesians 2. Again, if you're going to go read it, read the whole chapter, but Ephesians 2, verses 10 to 13 is the emphasis, emphasis of what we're looking at, where it says, We are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is in the flesh by hands, remember you were at that time, now look at verse 12, you were at that time separated from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But verse 13, now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. So you who were once far off have now been brought near to what or to whom? Now, most people, when they read through this, will be like, well, we've been brought near to, to the Father, brought near to Yahweh. And ultimately, yes, that, that is correct. But what specifically does it say? In verse 12, Right before he says you've been brought near, what is he brought near to? What he just said. What was it? You were separated from the Messiah. So now joined in the Messiah, you are no longer alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, but you are now in the commonwealth of Israel, joined with it. You are no longer strangers to the covenant of promise, but you are now a son into the covenant of promise. You had no hope without God in the world, but now you have hope because he is with you in this world. So we are now brought into the commonwealth of Israel, brought into a place of covenant, and called sons of the Most High and sons of Israel. We are not replacing anyone. We are joint heirs and joint, uh, joint family. We're all family now. We're brought in together to be one people in him. Romans 11, 17, and 18 says that we're grafted into the tree. Well, that means the tree existed before the branches. Right? <laughs> uh, Romans eleven seventeen says, If some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. And if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. See, so that's what we're looking at here, is that once we are redeemed and brought into the tree, who's the tree? Well, see, Yeshua is that, that root 
But coming forth from this root, we see as a people of Israel, a people of covenant, and we are brought into that to be a part with and, uh, and, re- and receivers of promises as well as. That means we not only change identity, but we change everything about us. Old things passed away, all things will become new, and now we live different. See, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 says, when the appointed time arrived, God sent forth his son. He was born from, a, born from a woman, born into a culture in which legalistic perversion of the Torah was the norm, so that he might redeem those in subjection to this legalism and thus enable us to be made God's sons. Now, because you are sons, God has sent forth into our hearts the spirit of his son, the spirit who cries out, Abba. So through God, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, you are also an heir. Okay, so they, so if we're in covenant, we are sons and heirs to the promise, right? And so Yeshua, as a son of Israel, they were saying he was the rebellious son. What are we going to do with him, right? Okay, so we have this issue about the rebellious son in the Torah, and then right after that, we have another issue addressed, literally and immediately right after, which again draws our connection to Yeshua. Because why would these two things go together? But they do. Okay, so we go back to Deuteronomy uh, 21, verses 22 and 23. Suppose a man is guilty of a sin with a death sentence, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body is not to remain all night on the tree. Instead, you must certainly bury him the same day. For anyone hanged is cursed of God. And you must not defile your land that I don't know your God is giving you as an inheritance. So if someone is hanged, then they are done, done so because it is a curse of God. But they are not to defile the land that I don't know your God is giving you as an inheritance, so they are not to remain up there uh, all the time, right? Interestingly, because the sages say that this is done uh, by the one who has blasphemed Yahweh or an idol worshiper. They say these are the ones that relate to the, uh, the, the hanging, put it hang, being hanged up on the tree. But note this as well. The Hebrew word tala, to hang, implies the hanging by the hands, not by the neck, not by lynching, but by the hands. To hang, as one is done like hanging, hanging the hands above the head on a plank or outstretched like on a T cross beam or like a gallows that's written in there. Interesting, isn't it? You know, we're, again, we're drawing more pictures. They tried to say he's a stubborn and rebellious son, and they tried to throw that claim on him and tried to crucify him in that same way. Again, we see this was the charge that was given towards Yeshua. Matthew 26, verses 63 to 66, says that Yeshua kept silent, and the Kohen Gadol said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are Mashiach ben Elohim. Now notice, Yeshua kept silent all the way up to this point. See, all the way up until the name of Yah was invoked. (laughs) All the way up to that point, Yeshua kept silent against all the charges. But here, he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are Mashiach ben Elohim, if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and Yeshua says, as you have said, replied Yeshua, besides that, I tell you, soon after you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the Kohen Gadol tore his clothes and he said, blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, you've heard the blasphemy. What's your verdict? Guilty, they answered, and he deserves death. We see in Mark 14, 61 to 64, uh, again, retelling of this account. 
It says, keeping silent, Yeshua did not answer. And again, the Kohen Gadol questioned him, Are you Mashiach, son of the Blessed One? I am, said Yeshua. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Powerful One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the Kohen Gadol says, Why do we still need witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What seems right to you? And then all condemned him as deserving death. So see, he's the drunkard and rebellious. He's the stubborn and rebellious son. And then, uh, then he's committed blasphemy, so he must be killed, and he must be hung. Wow. Now, after all of this, we read that Yeshua, even though hung, his body was removed the same day that he, was, that he died and the same day that he was put on that cross. We find in John 19, verses 30 to 37, it says, When Yeshua had received the sour wine, that he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up the spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Yeshua and they saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once out came blood and water. And he who saw it is borne witness, his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says that they will look on him whom they have pierced. Another interesting thing here where it says that they came to break their legs, make sure they were dead. When they came to Yeshua, he was already dead, so they, a soldier pierced him to make sure. And it says blood and water flowed. I don't know if you've ever read an account of a, of a crucifixion or, uh, or read, there was a book saying the, the medical account of the crucifixion. Uh, by the time they got to this point, there probably was not even enough blood to flow from him, let alone water. But I believe this is giving us prophecy and again, showing us some pictures. When he was pierced and blood and water flowed from him, I believe this is back when, when the Tanakh says that he, there will be a, a fountain opened up in that day for uncleanness and for sin. And for those in the inhabitants of Jerusalem, this is talking about Yeshua, who his, his water and his blood flowed to cleanse us and to purify us and to set us apart as a people. The water, if you read through, you find water is given for mikvah. Water is given to take something that was unclean and to make it clean, right? It's a purification thing. To take something that was unclean and to make it clean, it was cleansed, it was thrown through the mikvah. But then a blood, the blood was something that was taken to bring someone near to Yahweh. The blood was taken to be put on the altar to provide atonement. We read in the Torah that it says, I have given you the blood, and the blood is to make the atonement. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and it's to make atonement for the people. Well, again, we know that Yeshua, not by the blood of goats or, or, or bulls or calves, entered in the most holy place, but he entered in the most holy place that is in the heavens, and not by the means of the animals, but by his own blood provided atonement that would be forever for us. So we have a picture of the water flowing to, to cleanse, to make better, make clean, but as well as the blood to help make atonement for us and uh, help provide the way that we can uh, serve the Father upright. All right. Now, regarding back this, 1 Peter 2, 22 to 24 says he committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return the abuse. While suffering, he made no threats. Instead, he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges 
righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we removed from sins might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. See that? So we have here of saying that he bore our sins. He removed our sins from us so that we would live in righteousness because by his wounds, we were healed, saying that he was put here because of this. This is what he would do for us. And we see back to Isaiah 53, this is where I believe Peter was quoting from. Come back to the same thing. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, struck by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So again, we have the picture of, yes, uh, Though this charge was laid against him, was he the stubborn and rebellious son? No, he was not. But we were. Because of all this, we, this is what we were. This is where, this is, we turned our back on God. We're guilty of sin. We're worthy of death. We're worthy of all these things. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we're not talking about justice here. We're talking about compassion. We're talking about mercy. We're talking about God's grace. That's, that's, we're worthy of these things. But in his grace, in his mercy, in his compassion, in his goodness, he paid the penalty that we could not pay for ourselves. And he made the way, even down to the little things in the Torah that just get glossed over, even in his crucifixion and his death, burial, and resurrection, even in these things we see in the Torah, even in his death, that he was still fulfilling issues of the Torah. Why? So that we could be called sons of Yahweh, sons of Israel sons of Abraham, heirs to the promise that Yahweh has declared to his people so that we could be a people set apart. Again, back to Galatians 3, verses 13 to 16. Messiah liberated us from the Torah's curse, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that through the Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promise of the Ruach through trusting faith. Brothers and sisters, I speak in human terms. Even with a man's covenant, once it has been confirmed, no one cancels it or adds to it. And now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And it doesn't say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is the Messiah. And going down further, if you believe the Messiah is Yeshua, then you are seeds of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Because of what Yeshua did, he made way that we could have access to Yahweh in a place of covenant. We say, yeah, but what about the new covenant? That is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about even in Jeremiah 31, where it talks about this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days. I will take my Torah and I will write it on their hearts. I put it within them. I will write it within them. That's it so that we can have a place of Yahweh's word dwelling within us with a new spirit, a new heart, being remade new within us so that we can walk with him and so that we can come before him with a clear conscience so that we can serve the living God. Wow. 
Well, guys, um, that's all I've got for you on this portion. Okay, so uh, I pray this has blessed you. I pray this has encouraged you. I, I pray this has challenged you as well. And if this has, then please share it. Whatever avenue that you're watching or listening, please share them to help get it out there. If it's been a blessing to you, it's going to bless somebody else, right? So please share this to help get this out there. And if this has blessed you, then please consider making a donation as well uh, on whatever avenue that you're watching or listening, whatever it may be. It's you that helps us keep the platforms and, and the recordings and the editings and everything else going to enable us to get these out there. So uh, it's your part and your role in that too. So if this has been a blessing to you, then uh, please help us to continue in that blessings and blessing you and others. Okay. So until next time, guys, uh, be blessed, be a blessing and shalom.